This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. It was an exciting weekend with the Cardinals coming into town. Always, always that rivalry. But um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is you always do such a good job breaking down the pitchers for anybody that watches uh, Marquee Network, who, like myself, I have it on 24-7. But nice. you had you had two young pitchers that have been kind of going at it this whole year. You had a, a much-anticipated debut you had a guy that's kind of just kind of come for a lot of casual Cub fans, kind of come out of nowhere. And then you have the big free agent signing uh, from the offseason. So I thought we would kind of take a look at those guys, kind of break down, break them down each and, and, and kind of in the context of what happened last weekend. Um, so the first one that I have kind of queued up was Keegan Thompson, who did really well against St. Louis but uh, had his worst start last night against Baltimore. What pitches does Keegan feature? Yeah, so Keegan is primarily like a fastball cutter, curveball guy, I'd say. That's pretty good breakdown as a mix, occasional changeup. Um, the thing that Marshall, Sean Marshall, uh, Cubs reliever, he's a great guy, one of my favorite talent that we have at, at Marquee Sports Network. Um, it's really enjoyed. That was my first segment. We did a segment, he and I, the other day, where we, we had some really cool video of the spin of each of his pitches, and we broke it down. And I think the main thing we pointed out with him is that on that four seam, he gets what the nerds would call a little bit of cut ride. So, like, you think of a cutter moving away from a righty, and you think of ride being that, like, high-rise Garrett Coley forcing fastball that has become so popular over the last couple of years. Keegan kind of throws a blended version of those two pitches, I would say, where it's not, you know, it doesn't have as much ride as, like, the Garrett Cole fastball and doesn't cut as much as, say, like, a big cutter or big slider or anything. But the combination of the two makes it a kind of particularly interesting and effective pitch. It's been really good for him. It's a primary reason, I think, why I think prior to yesterday's outing, he was ranked fourth or fifth in uh, among starting pitchers in baseball references, kind of player value metric known as war. Um, so, yeah, I love that pitch for him. And Marsh likes it, too. It's a slight, like, offset of the ball, which allows him to do that. Um, and it's a really effective one. And he, he tunnels that, sequences it really well off with the cutter and then the big curveball. Yesterday's outing was odd. Marsh and I were watching it with, with Cole Wright and a variety of other people in the studios here. And we were kind of surprised. I, I know Marsh was thinking that maybe something was going on with him tipping because he was not getting any swings on a curveball. Um, but tipping so hard to pick up. Like you, you probably have to have a camera focused on the pitcher and know what each pitch is coming in. I find tipping stuff fascinating uh, just because it's something that, I, I, you know, talking to guys like Carlos Pena, we have in his talent and such. He's like, yeah, there used to be guys on the team that are just better at picking it up. You know, but again, I'm not saying Hegan was. I, I doubt he was, honestly, because some of that stuff is, I think, a little bit of probably overblown in terms of how often it affects a pitcher. Could have just been an off day for him. But the curveball was weird, man. He was throwing that. He gave up a couple of homers on it. He was getting a lot of really good takes on pitches that Marsh and I thought were really competitive. Um, so I, I guess I want to chalk it up more so to just bad luck in that outing. I don't think Keegan Thompson's like a sub-two ERA guy. You know, that'd be incredibly elite. I think he's a really good piece that 
I still think the Cubs are trying to figure out how to use, which is totally fine, right? But we're not sure if he ends up in the pen long term or if he's more of a starter, if he's more of that hybrid two to three inning role. The easy way is to split the difference and say he's that hybrid two to three inning role. But Lovemed's a pitcher, effective guy, really like the, the repertoire. Interesting. So in the future, you see him more being a two to three, like he, like he was piggybacking earlier in the season. Yeah, I think that's kind of the, the sweet spot, I think, because he doesn't have to turn the lineup over a bunch of times where you run into some of the third time through the order penalties and stuff that, that baseball's so kind of against now in the modern game. But uh, I like him in that two to three role where maybe he faces a batter or two twice, but uh, he could turn over a lineup and provides a lot of like middle relief in leverage situations. And I remember listening last night to J.D. and Boog talking, and they thought with the rain and stuff, maybe he just really couldn't grip the ball as much yeah. as well as he wanted or something. It was, again, sure. it, it was it was a rare bad performance, but he's been uh, fun to watch. And, uh, you know, hopefully if he has a couple of good more starts, maybe he makes an all-star game. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. we have, a, I think, our poll question today is uh, who, how many uh, Cubs should be all-stars, how many are deserving. And, yeah, Willie for sure. Uh, I think Keegan's in the, in the conversation Although, like, those guys that don't end up with saves are always curious, right? Like, they're, they're always in a funky spot, you know, in terms of the all-star voting. I feel like fans tend to lean towards the guy with the big save number and such. So, or, I mean, the Josh haters of the world and such with that big save, save number. But the middle relief guys, maybe not as much. So, maybe Robertson, maybe Robertson's the guy that jumps over Keegan in terms of the amount of votes he gets. But I think a lot of Cub fans know that Keegan's been almost equally as effective, in my opinion, as Robertson. All right. Another guy who had his best start against the Cardinals recently is Justin Steele, another young talent that is getting an opportunity to prove what he has at the major league level. What do you see when you watch Justin Steele pitch? Yeah, Steele, I think this last start is interesting. I, it was a Sunday night broadcast, obviously, and I, I love Boo and JD, but it's often fun to hear other announcers call the Cubs games, as I imagine maybe some Cubs fans do if they jump out of into another a broadcast and such. Some aren't that great. Obviously, some many of them aren't as good as Boo and JD, but I really like David Cohn a lot on ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. I think that's a very good broadcast in terms of the, the information they bring from my perspective, uh, leaning towards the nerd side. And Cohn throughout it was talking about how he thought that there was something different with Steele's fastball. And I was like a little skeptical of it because I thought it was lining up pretty much with what the season metrics were in terms of the movement and velocity of the pitch, maybe up slightly. But the thing that uh, we noticed was obviously he was jamming guys inside a ton of that pitch. Like he was really throwing it in on, on the Cardinal righties. Um, and that was a bit of a deviation from what I remember. I, I tend to remember him as a righty guy sitting up in the zone, maybe up and away from righties, where he just kind of let that pitch fly such that if his natural miss would, you know, be a little arm side, so be in the left-handed batter's box. If he's up in the zone, he can kind of take it out of the zone and obviously kind of limit the damage and uh, the potential downside risk of just leaving a bunch of pitches over the middle of the plate. But it's, it comes to light, obviously, after the game that it sounds like uh, John Lester talked to David Ross about it. And obviously – I think Ross mentioned in an interview we did with him that, you know, obviously this credit goes to Steele for sure in terms of putting in the work, which obviously he's done a ton. But I thought that was interesting. And, yeah, if you look at kind of the distribution of where that fastball was over his last four or five outings, um, the most recent one Sunday Night Baseball against the Cardinals, he definitely was living inside with the pitch more. And I think that maybe that is what affected the pitch movement rather than – rather than, say, uh, an actual, like, shape change on the pitch or a cue difference. But he clearly was trying to put that pitch inside more. Um, and I think that's interesting. I, I don't know. You know, you see an outing like that. Didn't get a ton of whiffs and whiffs or something that are generally pretty predictive of future success. So, in my opinion, I think that success was more so like a game plan change where, like, the Cardinals hitters probably had an idea of what he threw. And then throughout that game, maybe didn't think that he would stay so true to jamming guys inside with that fastball the whole game. Maybe they thought it was like a – inning or two strategy for the first time through, but he sat with that for like the entire game. 
Um, and I, I think it just threw Cardinals hitters off. So the next outing, which I assume will be Sunday, obviously I'm not entirely sure on that, in Yankee Stadium, that's going to be an interesting one to see exactly where that fastball location is to righties. Because they have a ton of good righties in Stan and Judge and uh, Gleyber Torres and stuff. So that's I think that's what we're going to be looking for here is like the new fastball. Is that forcing fastball inside to righties is a key thing now. And uh, how do hitters adjust? The chess, the endless chess game, obviously, here. It's not something that I think will make him an ace, but I'm curious to see if it's something he sticks with or at least adds to his repertoire and maybe comes up with two fastball locations as opposed to one versus righties. I thought it was, like you said, it, you know, it comes out that, uh, you know, Justin Steele, I mean, uh, uh, J- uh, David Ross gets mm-hmm. text messages from Lester and he and David Ross goes to Justin Steele. Hey, you got to establish the four seam fastball command down and into righties and on that inner third. And that Lester said everything else that, that will kind of open everything else up. So once you establish that, everything else will be opened up. And, you know, I just kind of laughed because you ever see that meme with Leonardo DiCaprio where he's drinking the beer, smoking a cigarette and pointing at yeah, the yeah, TV? Yeah, for sure. Like, is that literally John Lester sitting there? And afterwards, you know, Ross joked, I also got a text following up that and said John did not want to be a pitching coach. But, <laughs> you know, you said you earlier, uh, talking with uh, Sean Marshall, just these guys are so in tune to the game that they may pick up things that most people wouldn't. And For I found sure. it interesting that he would call, you know, text his old buddy, David Ross, and say, hey, tell the kid this. Because, again, you're talking about a lefty and, and steals a lefty as well and some similarities as far as body mechanics, body type. Yeah, I think the key thing that I, I don't exactly know, like Lester, obviously, really good point. I think the key thing that would be interesting from my perspective is, like, Lester was a command artist, right? Like, to, to live in the major leagues for as long as he did throwing low 90s, like, you have to have good command. It's just a prerequisite, like the Wade Miley's of the world, Alec Mills, Kyle Hendricks. Like their command is exceptional. If you look at any modern age command stats, that'll back, be backed up by that. Whereas Steele's command, I'd say from watching him for two years now, is not Lester level, obviously, and he throws a little bit harder. So I'd be curious on Lester's thoughts. Like I don't know if he's come up publicly and talked about this much, but like I'd be curious on his thoughts on like I get that you want Steele to establish the fastball in, but like he probably he had it seemed like he had good command in that Sunday night baseball outing, but in the instance he doesn't have good command, there's a chance that those pitches are then leaking over the plate. And then what do you do, right? It's always like looking ahead. It's like, great, he had a good start, but like, how do we keep this going? You know, it's like I don't know if he can just live inside for the rest of his career. I think it's more a matter of like, I don't know if he has good enough command to live inside for the rest of his career. Let's say that. And that's not a knock on Justin Steele. Like, it's just a lot of young pitchers don't have good command. You know what I mean? So, like, Lester, it might be easy for Lester to go, hey, man, just throw the ball inside. And, like, Steele was like, okay, that makes sense. And then <laughs> it works for an outing. And then next outing, it's like he's leaving pitches over the play. He's getting hammered. So, we'll see. Like, I'm really curious to see the evolution of this um, on this particular fastball location example with Steele. Now, the next pitcher that uh, I was at the game, I was uh, super excited to see Caleb Killian yeah. pitch on, uh, that was Saturday night on the doubleheader. Uh, Caleb ended up ninth on your prospect list mm-hmm. as the season started. What does Caleb do that makes him such an exciting pitcher that so many people are talking about him? Yeah, lives in the zone a ton is the key thing. I think that that is great from a viewer perspective of keeping pace on the game. Um, He paces up a ton. Like, he throws the ball. He throws the ball in the zone a lot. It's a lot of contact. I don't think he's a big whiff guy. I think he could become a larger whiff guy if there's some adjustments made to the slider in particular. He kind of throws too 
cutter sliders, um, from my understanding, it's only going to be charted as one if you want to nerd out and head, headed to any of the sites that track pitches. It's going to be called a cutter, but there's a slight variation, which you might have noticed, which is more like 86, 87, that sweeps a little bit more. I think that's kind of the key for him in my perspective going forward of like developing him as a pitcher. Um, I'd love to see the development come at the major league level. As I know, I, I imagine other people around Chicago would love to see, love to see some homegrown talent, or not homegrown talent, he came from the, the Giants, excuse me, but at least develop talent come through the system in a really anticipated pitcher debut. Um, obviously a bit of a different pitcher too, since he came to came over from the Giants in terms of what he throws. A little bit different on the four-seam fastball from what I saw in Arizona Fall League last year. And they're kind of, again, trying to pick up a little more sweep with that, that cutter slider pitch. So I like him overall. Again, he sits in the zone a ton. The velo's good for how much he sits in the zone. I was talking about command earlier. Generally, you'd say that you know, there's a, there's a relationship between how hard you throw in command. This is why you kind of see a lot of relievers who kind of maybe don't know where the ball is going throwing 98 plus. It's really hard to control a baseball if you're throwing 98 plus. Um, so a guy that can sit, you know, 94 to 96 with Velo was up a little in the outing the first couple of innings. I imagine that was some adrenaline, but another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, a guy that can sit there and command the ball as well as he does, I think has a really high floor. Um, and I think that slider is the key thing for him to develop a ceiling in terms of getting a little more depth on that pitch and not necessarily depth, but honestly a little more sweep away from righties. Cause I think his repertoire to lefties is good with the cutter, uh, cutter sinker or cutter four seam now, um, primarily to lefties, but yeah, he's my number nine. He's not, I, I've heard some people reference him as the top hitting prospect in the system. My money's on Jordan Wicks there. Who's the uh, first rounder last year from uh, Kansas state. Um, he's a guy who was fastball change in college and they've picked up a slider with him that's a little sweepier that I really like. I think he's a true three-pitch guy. I think his command is as good as Killian's. I'd love to see the Vila jump a little more for him, but I think the ceiling's slightly higher with Jordan Wicks than it is with Caleb Killian. But that does not to say that Caleb Killian does not have a role in the major league level um, and a good career. I got to go down to South Bend and uh, see DJ Hurts pitch is another one. That, yeah, DJ's uh, fun. Really, high really good there. guy, too. Yeah, super good guy. Uh, now, when... Killian got called up. I'm not going to lie. Dustin and I were a little disappointed. We were, you know, when, when, uh, I'm sorry, we're talking about the doubleheader with the Brewers. We were disappointed when Killian Ah, wasn't called up and it said, Matt Swarmer. Okay. Well, Mm. Matt Swarmer. Okay, fine. But what has that kid done since he got here? I mean, his first start, he went six innings pitched, four runs, one earned, one walk, uh, had six Ks against Milwaukee. And then his second start, like, you know, you said, okay, let's see you do it again. Now he goes six innings, two hits, one run, two walks, and five Ks versus St. Louis. So after that Milwaukee start, I mean, he was the first Cub to pitch six innings in MLB uh, debut since 2014 for the Cubs. Mm. Uh, Kyle Hendricks was the one who did it beforehand. He was the third Cub with a quality start in his MLB debut over the last 15 season. And he retired the first seven batters. He was the first Cub to do so in MLB debut since Chris Russon did it in 2012. Yeah. So... I mean, maybe what, what is Matt doing that's kind of translating to success up at the big league level? Yeah, he's a two-pitch guy. He's a fastball slider. Uh, I was a little bit surprised to see this, this success, excuse me, um, which I, I'm happy to admit. I mean, I, I didn't really have Swarmer on my radar too much in terms of prospect lists. I didn't really think he threw hard enough. Um, uh, the slider grades in the minors were fine, but they weren't, like, exceptional. 
I think the thing we've seen early with him is not almost that the slider is a really good raw pitch. It's not like an Ethan Roberts pitch that has a ton of movement that you look at and you go, wow. It's He commands it incredibly well. Um, and there's some variance in this, but I feel like we've gotten 12 innings now. You know, the location data usually takes a little bit of time to stabilize, but from for the most part, like his ability to put that pitch down away from righties is exceptional. It's been incredibly effective. Um, and his fastball location hasn't been poor either. Like it works. Like the combo of the two pitches works. I also really like that he's thrown slider like over 50% of the time. I think that's a signifier in a very like simple way of just how far modern pitching has come in terms of guys throwing 52% slider when, you know, that's usually reserved for your fastball. Usually that's 52 plus. You've seen guys for years sit 60 plus and now we're seeing a lot of guys go under 50 percent with their fastball and this is a trend you're going to see with the giants we haven't played yet but the giants do this a ton we're acquiring pitchers and uh and dropping uh fastball usage bringing up slider usage and i think that you know maybe swarmer doesn't turn into a, a number two in the rotation or anything but i think what he represents to me is the evolution of the cubs front office and their pitching development especially with when breslow came in in 2020 these changes are starting to manifest. It's going to take some time, which is tough because it's like you hear the changes and then you look the next year and you're like, the team's not better. I don't understand what they did. It's like, you know, systems take a long time to build, especially when they're trying to do something different and trying to do something new. And from my conversations with Breslow, he's done an incredible job so far. The data backs us up in the minor leagues. It's just, you know, it takes some time, obviously, to, to push through. But again, what I'm getting at with Swarmer here is like that 52% slaughter usage is an indication to me that the Cubs are kind of catching up with a lot of this modern ideas around pitching, right? Like, you just wouldn't have seen this. I, I don't know off the top of my head, but, like, a starting pitcher for the Cubs to throw, you know, 50 or more percent breaking ball through any period of time, I, I can't think of a pitcher who is probably doing that, right? Like, even Stroman is more like a fastball. He's like a cut-right-sink fastball guy. Like, there's just not a lot of pitchers in the who the Cubs have featured and who are doing that, you know? And I like that from a perspective of, like, them understanding as an organization what is working for other teams, like the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Giants, and – even like the Brewers and stuff do a really good job of this. Um, obviously, established fastball is still a thing. I don't. I again, like I don't think that's something that you just don't do anymore. But I think that teams are realizing if a slider is that good, you probably should throw it more. So I love that that pitch is over to fifty percent. It's not like a thirty-five percent pitch where they're like established fastball, established fastball. It's like in reality, he's sitting low nineties. Like the fastball is fine. It's really about the how those two pitches interact. And where do you see Swarmer like say in the next year or two? What do you, what do you see him his role with the team being potentially? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think I, I'd like to say something like a five or four or five, fourth or fifth starter, which a lot of people are going to be like bleh on. But the reality is like the distribution of starting pitching, you know, a lot of there's, there's really like a four or five is good for a guy that really wasn't a top prospect, really wasn't mentioned too much, not talked about a lot. Um, if you can get that result out of him and turn him into like an Alec Millsy type where it's two pitch and it's really good. Like I, I love him as like, as like a guy who starts – maybe a small sample of games each year or sits as a five in the rotation for a bit while we see a lot of these other young studs come up through the system. Um, it's not downplaying him at all. It's just a little more realistic in terms of outlook, which I, I tend to be in a lot of my analysis. But yeah, he's like, I think he's like a five and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Now, we talked about a lot of the young pitching that we saw over the last weekend, but we also had a free agent pitch, uh, Marcus Stroman, who the Cubs signed in the, right at the 11 o'clock hour before the lockout. And, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of been an interesting season for him so far. He kind of started out a little bit slow, then all of a sudden started looking good, got COVID, came mm. back, had a great start against the White Sox, and then his worst start against St. Louis. Uh, as far as Marcus, you know, when he's successful, what is it that he's done to make him one of the top pitchers in baseball? 
Yeah, we were we actually doing a breakdown on this today on the on our pregame show. Uh, this is Wednesday. I don't know the date, but I know it's Wednesday um, against the Orioles. We're, Sean Marshall is going to run through a little tape that I cut for him, and we kind of talked through about what has changed and what's made him effective this year. The main thing that jumped out to me is if you look at between 2015 and 2018, I believe, and you sort by ground ball rate, who creates the most ground balls in Major League Baseball? Marcus Stroman was number one in baseball among qualified starting pitchers. This year, he's down to 42% ground ball rate. He's become almost a fly ball pitcher, which I didn't really expect, but there's been like a deterioration and a flip over the last couple of years in terms of how much he's giving up you know, fly balls. And I don't necessarily know whether his stuff is as conducive to be a fly ball pitcher. Like, I don't know if his raw stuff... I don't even know if that's his intention, let's say. Like, I haven't talked to Stroman about this. I definitely would like to. I'm in the clubhouse to get him out. I just haven't gotten a chance to catch him. But I, I'm curious if it's just a location thing. Like, we were looking at some sinker plots in terms of where he's throwing a sinker this year relative to last year. The pitch is up in the zone a little more. Um, he did kind of reinvent his forcing fastball to work up in the zone more, which I thought was a really good addition. And I was a little bit surprised, too. Like, he's got such good body feel and just an understanding of the game that he's a guy I think you just give a – Q2, you just tell him to do something, and he could probably do it very quickly because it is how cerebral he is. But yeah, it seems like a sinker thing. It seems like he's just living up in the zone more. I don't necessarily know if that's where his stuff is supposed to be. I know in the postgame interviews I've seen with him, he always talks about his mechanics have kind of been off. That's been a consistent theme. Maybe that's why he's leaving some stuff up. I think his, his MO is to live down. Like his stuff just works down. And I think that that fastball wrinkle, when he kind of changed with that forcing this year, allows him to kind of open up the top of the zone which would make him a incredibly effective pitcher if he's able to go kind of two-seam down, sinker down, and then tunnel slider off that, go cutter in middle, and then force him up. That's a good combination. It's just we haven't really seen it too much. We saw it in Chicago on the south side when he pitched there. He pitched really well. But a, and I think he went into Milwaukee and pitched really well too. I remember that outing. Mm-hmm. That one I think he wasn't living down too much, but he was really effective on the inner third, especially the lefties and uh, some of the lefties that the Brewers have in that lineup. But that's, I, that's my guess right now. Um, Maybe so. I'd say it's like it's like a location thing, but maybe it comes down more to mechanics. But I do feel like that's kind of a cop out. Like I, I wish there was something more that jumps out. You know what I mean? It's just some of the pitches, the cutter in particular, hasn't been great this year, and the sinker hasn't been great. And I think he'd say the same thing. Yeah, we we talked to him. I interviewed him over at Club Four Hundred, and nice. you know he just talked about how the lockout threw him off a little bit. And sure. He just doesn't. You know. He just hasn't had any consistency. You know, you had the lockout, and then he got yeah. sick, and it's just hasn't. And, and I tell people too. John Lester struggled his first month, month and a half in Chicago for whatever reason. And I can't put a finger on it. Free agents, for whatever reason, seem to struggle when they come here. And uh, then once they kind of get established, they do okay. So I'm, you know, Marcus has plenty of history behind him that shows that he's a good pitcher. So uh, when, when you're looking tonight at Marcus's start, what, what should people be looking for? Yeah, that Orioles lineup in particular is not particularly de- devastating, really. Like, it's not that great. Like, Cedric Molson's a really good lefty. But any of those righties in that lineup, like, the, the wall in left field now is so deep that, like, you're just not seeing a lot of home runs. So I'd love to see him be really aggressive, try to get a lot of guys out in front, a lot of righties out in front trying to pull the ball. Because I just think that there's a higher probability those balls don't end up as damage. Um, so, yeah, look for everything to be down. I think that's the main thing. Like, let's see if that's the key for him is just live down on the zone. Maybe it's as simple as that. But – the mental side you're talking about is huge, too. Like, that's something that I think is incredibly undercovered. We don't really talk about it a lot. But, you know, I think that we also, as, like, fans and people who root for a team, you know, we like to ascribe reason for things that maybe are somewhat reasonless, you know? Like, if he just hasn't been locked in, he thinks COVID threw him off, we might be like, oh, he's under the pressure of a new contract, new city. It's like, I, I don't know. Like, maybe those things aren't connected at all. Maybe he's just going through a little bit of a bout, and it happens to be in his first couple months with the Cubs. But they have him under a couple years contract, and – I don't expect that to be 
a poor contract when we look back at it. It's just we've caught two tough months with a couple really good starts nestled within. So we'll see. Well, Lance, we really appreciate you coming on here. If people want to look at for your work, where would they be able to find it? What social media tags are you under? Yeah, I'm Lance B-R-O-Z, last four letters of my uh, last name, excuse me, um, on Twitter, and Lance Brozdowski, full name on YouTube. I do some stuff on my own, jumping around the league, generally non-Cubs. I'm a huge like baseball fan in general outside of the Cubs and such, so... But yeah, any Marquis Sports Network, I'm on twice a week, usually Tuesdays, Fridays. We do like a little cool breakdown segment. I'm on air with that, usually with Dempster or Marsh or whoever we have in studio, which is really fun. I've really enjoyed that. So it's been a bit of a change for me in terms of my role this year, but I'm really, I'm really enjoying it. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you tonight, and I can do the Leo DiCaprio meme where I'm pointing at you on yeah, TV and go. say, yeah, <laughs> yep, I knew that was happening. Thanks for coming on, Lance. We really Absolutely. appreciate it. Anytime.